Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. If you've been enjoying the Propel Podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is podcast at propelconference.org. If there's a speaker you'd like to hear from at a future Propel Conference, or if you have a comment, question, sarcasm, criticism, please email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Also, we'd love it if you could leave a review for the podcast on whatever service you're using. That will really help us out. Today, we'll be hearing from David Kleindienst as he shares from the first breakout session in the track on reaping meetings. David Kleindienst is the Evangelism and Church Growth Director for the Chesapeake Conference in Columbia, Maryland, and he's also the speaker for the Forecasting Hope series airing on 3ABN and the Hope Channel. David has preached at evangelistic series across four continents and has a desire to see a passionate, mission-minded, lay-driven church where each member is looking for opportunities to plant seeds for Jesus. David will be talking about how to do visitations as part of your reaping meetings. He makes the case for visiting people in their homes, even in this post-COVID world. Then he offers some practical tips on how to approach each visit, some guidelines on what to talk about, and how to ask for decisions in this context. This is really practical, ground-level training, and whether this is new to you or you're a seasoned professional, David's perspective will be really beneficial. We'll hear from him in just a moment. First, though, I want to mention the sponsor of today's episode, Interest Tracker. Interest Tracker is the online CRM for tracking interests on their way to membership. This free software has been used by over 1,600 Seventh-day Adventist churches throughout North America. It's cloud-based, so you can access your interest list from anywhere, and your entire team can manage your interest list from one central source, so everyone has the most current information. You can sign up for your free account at interesttracker.org. In his presentation, David Kleindens talks about tracking attendance at your evangelistic meetings. An interest tracker has a paid module called Attendance Tracker, which makes it easy to check in your guests at multiple check-in stations, track the engagement of your guests, and create precise, easy-to-access attendance reports. So head on over to interesttracker.org to learn more about this powerful tool for tracking attendance at your evangelistic meetings. With that, let's hear from David Kleindienst's breakout session at the 2023 Propel Conference on Interest Visitation. My name is David Kleindienst. I'm the Evangelism and Church Growth Director for the Chesapeake Conference in Columbia, Maryland. And so what I was asked to present for this part uh, is the importance of evangelistic visitation. And so what we're going to specifically be talking about is that when a church gets to the point in the pyramid in their evangelism strategy that they have gathered interest, they've been working for 12 to 18 months, they've built friendships, they've done everything that, that Dr. Walters was talking about, when they get to the point where they're doing a reaping series, how do you have an effective evangelism visitation strategy? And before I have prayer, one of the reasons we're talking about this is because I firmly believe there are two reasons 
main reasons why churches don't see the success they may want to when it comes to evangelistic meetings. It's not because evangelism doesn't work. I've been listening to that for 20 years, and I've been watching it work for 20 years when it's done the right way. The two reasons I see it they don't work for churches is, number one, we don't do the pre-work necessary. And I'm not talking about just holding one health seminar during the year. I'm talking about a 12 to 18 month plan that combines personal, creative, and culminates with public evangelism, just like Roger talked about. So I'm not going to spend time on that. The second reason, during the meetings, we don't visit people. If we don't visit people during evangelistic meetings, we're not going to get decisions and results. I remember specifically Ron Halverson, a senior, whom I had a chance to mentor with when I first uh, entered ministry. I had a chance to just do a meeting with him, go along with him uh, with the visits, and just watch what he does. And I will, I will always remember him saying, David, if you make your visits, you'll get your decisions. And I have found that to be true. So what I want to do here is go over the principles of why it's important, but for the most time, we're going to spend time on how do you visit, what do you say, what kind of questions do you ask, how do you listen, because I find when people understand Here's why you do this at this point in the meeting. Here's why you ask this question. When you have an idea where you're going, it makes so much more sense. And it makes me comfortable when I know where I'm going instead of just showing up and wondering, what am I trying to ask this person? What am I doing here? I like to have a direction. And so hopefully this will be helpful. And if we have time, this is really designed to be like a half-day seminar, and we're doing it in 75 minutes. The best way is to do role play, where actually I would role play with someone each kind of visit. We'll see where we are on time, but that would require one of you role, pay, role playing with me. Um, it's very easy for you because you get to say and do whatever you want. I have no idea what you're going to say, and hopefully we can, we can have some fun with that. Though some of my people from Chesapeake are here and they scare me because they may try to, <laughs> they may try to throw me. Yeah, I, I don't trust Baba Wally. <laughs> See, as soon as I said that, he smiled and I'm like, I'm not picking him. <laughs> All right, let's have a word of prayer and get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've called us together in this place for these few days, and particularly now for those that are here in this seminar. Lord, these principles, we're asking you to be the teacher. <laughs> and we're asking you that you would show us how to apply them in the places where you've called us. Help us to learn as we dialogue together, learn from each other, and we pray that it will make sense and that, Lord, it will ignite a fire within us to be able to connect with people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to spend the first 10 minutes or so uh, talking about why evangelistic visitation is important as soon as I figure out where I put my clicker. Anybody see where I put it? Well, then we'll just do, we'll just do without it. It'll show up at the end when I don't need it. All right, reason number one, it allows you to see where the Holy Spirit is working. One of the reasons you visit during meetings is when you're up preaching, people think that's all you need to do to make a decision. But the truth is, people do not make decisions from the preaching. People get conviction from the preaching. 
But people make decisions in the one-on-one -on -one interaction that I have with them, whether it's in the home or in the church or the hall or wherever these reaping meetings are taking place. And when I sit down with someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's exciting to me as a speaker or a participant, now I get to see how the Holy Spirit is working. Because I can't see that always preaching from the pulpit. I can look at a person I might know if they're interested. I can look at their body language, but I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know their story. I don't know what's brought them here. I don't know how the Holy Spirit may be working. But when I sit down with them one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's here or in their home or wherever, and I hear their story, that changes everything. Because now, when I'm standing up and preaching, I'm not just preaching to a bunch of bodies of people I don't know. I can look at them and say, there's Crystal, I know her story because I visited her a couple of days ago. And there's Baba Wally, I know what brought him to these meetings. And there's Jane, um, I, I know that she knows someone from this church. I know their stories, and I'm telling you, that makes an evangelistic meeting completely different. For me, the meetings don't actually begin until I'm able to start visiting people and I'm able to hear the stories, see how the Holy Spirit's working, and it just really excites me because now I know these people are here, God brought them because I know what's going on in their lives and they're not, they're not just numbers that I don't know what's going on in their life. So for me, that's extremely important. The other reason is it builds relationships and creates personal connections. I think one of the biggest things that we miss when it comes to public evangelistic reaping series, we forget how important the relational aspect of it is. It's not just coming up and people listening to doctrinal information and we think they're going to make a decision. We have to be able to connect to their heart. And the only way I know to be able to connect to someone's heart is to spend time with them because I've got to establish trust. And the reason that is so important, and you'll, you'll want to write this down, trust is so important when it comes to soul winning because you will never win someone to Jesus who does not trust you first. If they don't trust me, if I don't have a personal connection with them, I am not going to be able to move them to take that next step or that next decision, whatever it is. Trust is a big deal. And the only way I know how to establish trust is you have to spend time with people. And the other reason that's important is we do that early on because eventually I'm probably going to cover some things that is going to cause some dissonance in their minds. They're going to eventually hear some things that may challenge them, hear some things they're not sure about, and if I've already built a relationship with them early on, that means they're going to feel comfortable talking to me, they're not going to avoid me, because I've already established trust. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's one of the reasons personal visitation is so extremely important. The other reason is it allows for discussions that can't happen during the meeting. So in other words, when I'm up preaching, that's a monologue. People don't get to ask questions. Um, I, I, it's a totally uh, different context. When I'm with them one-on-one, -on -one, that, that changes everything because now it's a dialogue. They get to ask questions. Uh, they get to get clarity. And it's not the same thing. I mean, I'm talking about being in someone's home or in a private room somewhere. 
Because I know people come up to the speaker after each nightly meeting, they talk, but even that's not the same. Because other people are standing around and there may be things they want to talk about or ask that they don't want other people around to hear. So even that is totally different. It's best when I can get them, you know, one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -on -two or whatever, and they just get to ask questions. Because they don't get to ask questions usually uh, during the preaching. And I've already talked about how the decisions are solidified in the one-on-one -on -one interactions. And then this is the one you'll want to write down. 15 minutes in someone's home is worth more than a 60-minute sermon. If I had to choose between having them come listen for 60 minutes, or I could get 15 to 20 minutes one-on-one -on -one in their home or in a restaurant or wherever, that's what I want. Because that's where they're going to make decisions, and that's where I really have the opportunity to connect with their heart. So those are the principles underlying why evangelistic visitation is important. But now we're going to go to the practice. When do you start visiting? How? What kind of questions do you ask? So I'm going to start with the bare, bare basics, and we're just going to progress through. Now this is going to assume that it's a four-week meeting. It doesn't have to be, but the time frames I'm using are four weeks. If you're doing two weeks or whatever it is, um, you can adjust the time frame the way you're doing the evangelistic meetings. So I'm actually going to start with an interest list. And please, raise your hand or ask questions anytime. Before the meetings even start, every church needs to have an interest list. And, and so serious am I about this that there have been times in Chesapeake when uh, churches do their evangelism subsidy requests each year, we ask them, how many people are on your interest list? We've even asked them to submit their interest list. Because if I've got a church of 500 people in attendance and they give me an interest list that's got five people on it, that there's something wrong with that. You know, if there's a church of 100 and there's five people on their interest list, so something's not right. Because an interest list, in fact, if I were to ask you, how would you define what an interest list is? Yeah, any interaction, anybody that's had an interaction with your church, whether they visited, a church member's given them Bible studies, their kid came to the VBS, they came to a health seminar, um, they came to, they're a parent of someone that goes to your school and they came to the drama and the play they did, like my daughter did a couple of weeks ago. Um, anybody who's had any kind of positive contact they're on your interest list because they've already know you in some small degree. They've already been to something at your church, which means there's at least some measure of trust there. So with an interest list, when I'm getting ready to do evangelistic meetings, the people on the interest list are key because those are people I actually want to visit with personally a couple of weeks before the meetings ever start, and I want to give them a personal invitation. Everybody in that interest list, first of all, is going to get a personal letter from the church. They're not, not, not just the mass mailing that you may send into your community, a personal letter from the church, because the church is the entity which, which they had a connection with. And then about two weeks before the meeting, on that interest list, 
I'm going to find maybe the 10 or 20 of the best interest, the A interest, the ones that you know have been to many things at your church and they're the most interested. And I'm going to gather my elders or deacons or deaconesses or whomever and we're going to go give a personal invitation to, to those 20 or 30 that you feel are A interests. As simple as, you know, stopping by, you know, Hey, Susie, we've been so happy having you at our health seminars these past six months. Uh, we have another event coming up, and I just, I just wanted to give you a personal invitation to come, and you put the brochure into their hands. Personal. Because who's more likely to come to your evangelistic series? The person on the interest list who's already been to some things and knows some people in your church, or the person who's getting a flyer in the mail but has had no previous contact with your church? Who is more likely in most cases? Yeah, the interest list. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't mail out brochures. We're not at a point in North America where we cannot do that. It scares me when I hear churches, when I hear churches say that. I'd love for us to get to that point, but the truth is, especially if we're in a big city, uh, unless you're knocking on the door of three million people, you still need to send out mailers because there's always going to be those people who don't know the church, but God has prepared them for such a time as this. So I'm not suggesting we don't do mailers. I am saying that we put focus on those that we've already got personal relationships with. So if you're wanting to know of an interest list, uh, Sermon View has something called Interest Tracker. It's on the screen there. Um, that is free to every church in North America. It's, uh, it's on database. If you don't have it, you can sign up. And anybody on your church, if you give them a login, can access it, and you automatically have an interest list uh, that's free to your church. So that, that's just information for you. The second part is going beyond interest tracking. I'm going to talk about tracking attendance. So let me throw something out to you before we even talk about making a visit. Why would it be important to track attendance in an evangelistic meeting? What, what do you think? See, with tracking, not only do I know how often they've been there, I know what topics they've heard. So let's say now I am eight, days in, eight, eight nights into the meeting, and I'm figuring out who do I want to start really visiting and making connections with. Well, if I'm tracking attendance, I know who's been there. If I'm not... I have no idea. Tracking helps me to plan who am I going to visit and who's the most interested. So let me throw something out to you, because for some there may be a different opinion of philosophy on this. If, I'm, if I've been eight, let's say I'm eight nights into it, and I'm looking at my, my, my tracking attendance, who would be most important for me to visit? The person who's been there seven out of the eight nights or the person who's been there two out of eight nights and has missed six of them? Who would you personally be more interested in visiting? For me, it would be the one who's been there the most, and I'll tell you why. The one who's been there six, seven out of the eight nights, who's coming the most, I already know they're interested, or they would not be taking that much time out of their schedule. I already know I'm probably going to be welcomed in that visit because they're coming each night, they know me, they've heard me. So that's, that's the person who's likely to make a decision is those who are coming regularly. Those are going to be my first options, my most important ones to visit. Now that does not mean I neglect those who stop coming. I'm just not going to put them first because I could spend an entire meeting trying to get people to come back who stopped coming while 
I'm missing the opportunity to visit with those who have come the most and get decisions from them. So you'll have to decide which philosophy you're going to follow, but to me, I want to work with those who are closer to decisions, and then the others, yes, they're important too, but I can assign them to other people on a visitation team uh, to maybe connect with those who, for whatever reason, just aren't coming quite as much. But those who are coming the most are most likely to make the decisions, and to be honest, those are the visits I want to start with, because those are the visits that are easier, they're coming, I know I'm pretty much going to be, going to be welcomed, and they're close to making decisions. It's also why you need a visitation team uh, from a church. When we do meetings with a church, we ask them, and if they're big enough, require them, to have a visitation team that we can work with. I'm going to visit people, but I'm not going to be able to visit all those people and prepare for the meetings, and plus I want them to get to know people in, in the church. So I want a visitation team where I, I can give them certain names to visit and understand when you do that, please hear me, you need to train your visitation team. Don't just give them names and say, do whatever. You need to take a little time and show them how to make this visit. If that means doing role plays with them or something, that's fine because they need to know what you want them to say or what you don't want them to say. Don't just send them out blindly. Number one, if you do that, they're probably not going to volunteer to do it anyway. People want some training on, on what to do. But if I have a visitation team, I'm able to parcel out who people are going to see. Uh, lastly about this, there's another reason I track attendance. Maybe it's the ornery part of me. <laughs> I track the members that come. I, I also want to know the members that are coming. And I, I do that for a reason. You know, when we work with a church, we tell them specifically, we let the members know you're not getting in without registering because they think that they can just walk through the doors because their church is sponsoring or whatever. And number one, it looks weird. Okay, it looks weird that some people have to register and some people don't. It looks like you're targeting people, so everybody's got to register. Uh, number two, the reason I do that, I, I want to know how many members of the church are coming. Because if I find out that 10% of the membership is coming, and they don't get the results they want, and then at the end they try to tell me evangelism doesn't work, I'm going to remind them it doesn't work because you weren't here to make it work. How, how can you expect God to bless when you don't even show up yourself? So I, that's one of the reasons I actually track membership uh, that is coming as well, because it, it holds them accountable. All right, we've already talked about that one. So let's start here now. Let's say the meetings have started, because we've already talked about taking your interest list and giving personal invitations to those that you know have been connected with your church. But now the meetings have started. So let's say that we are in the first 10 to 14 days of meetings. Again, assuming this is four weeks, if you're doing less, then this would be the first, let's say, five to seven days of the meetings. So what I'm going to look to do here at this point all I'm looking to do is connect with people. And there's a few options and ways to do this. You have to choose what's best for your context and for your people group. You know, what works in a rural area may not work as much, you know, in, in a big city area. You have to decide. You choose between the options that I'm giving you here. Uh, but the one option that I think works for all, you're always I'm always here at least an hour before the meeting starts because guests will come in early, take their seats. That's my opportunity and some of your visitation team's opportunity. You just, you just roam around and you mingle with people. 
You, know, you connect with them. Uh, you know, if they're wearing name tags, if you choose to do that, hi, Bob, welcome to Forecasting Hope. You know, and he says hi back, and I get to ask him questions, you know. So where do you live? What, what, what brought you to a prophecy seminar or whatever your theme happens to be? And I'm listening to their answers. And even if it's just 60 seconds long, I'm learning just a little something about Bob's story, and I'm making a connection. So let me, for example, um, Barry, since I know you, can I use you for a second? I'm just going to go where you are, okay? No, I'm going to go where you are, actually, because you're, you're, you're a guest sitting in the pew, and, yes. and you know what, the camera's probably going to hate me, but that's too bad. <laughs> um, he's sitting in the pew, and I'm just walking around before the meeting starts, and I'm just saying hi. I have no idea what Perry's going to say here. Uh, and so this, this may be just a 30-second interaction, but that, that, that 30 seconds is gold. So, you know, I'm walking by, I see, I see Barry. He's sitting around here. Hi, Barry. Hey, welcome to Forecasting Hope. Oh, so glad to be here. My, my name is Pastor Dave. You probably figured that out. Yes. So, just, so what brings you to a, a prophecy seminar? Well, I've just been having a, a, an interest in uh, things. I've been going around attending a few different churches and just trying to check things out. And I saw this prophecy seminar the brochure that was sent to me in the mail. And I thought I'd just come and check it out. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad you came, Barry. Listen, if you have any questions on things that you hear or what have you, just... Doors always open. You feel free to come anytime. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You've, uh, everyone's been so friendly so far. So. Where, where do you live? Close by or far? Yeah, just right here in town. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Got the got the flyer in the mail, and and uh, you know, my wife and I have just been uh, checking checking things around. We just didn't really believe what we were hearing at our church where we were attending, and so we decided just to come and uh, hear about Bible prophecy because we're not hearing it wow. where we're at. Well, I'm glad you're here. You know, I would like to hear your story sometime. I'll be happy to. Well, All, right. Yeah. All right, we'll talk later. Okay. Now, if I was in the home, I would have jumped on what he said. <laughs> you know, as far as he heard some things they didn't agree with or whatever. But this is, this is just my first connection with him coming into the meeting, so I'm wanting this to be brief. You know, if I'd have started asking too many questions, it seems weird, you know, to begin with. So 30 to 60 seconds, connecting with him, you know, what brought you here. He'll tell me whatever he wants to tell me. You know, and I'm just listening. I know, I know it seems like 30 seconds of insignificance, but you don't realize how actually significant that is because I've just made a connection with Barry, and now he, hopefully, he feels just a little more comfortable with me now than when he walked in the door and had no idea who I am and never spoke a word to me. So you see how that, how that works. You just, and you're doing that after the meeting, too. If some people are hanging around, you just say, hey, hi, welcome to Forecasting Hope. And if you're the one doing the speaking, just by saying hi, sometimes people will end up asking you, you know, asking you questions. But that's really, really important because if I'm just, just going to preach and then I'm going to go hide myself, I'm, I'm missing opportunities to connect. And I, I, do, I do, I'll be honest, I do struggle with that at times because I'm afraid sometimes people are going to ask me a question that I don't want them to ask yet. I don't want them to start arguing. And I, the devil puts that in your mind. And what's really happening is, number one, if the people were argumentative, they wouldn't be here anyway, probably. So the fact that they're here says they're open. I'm making connections with them. So visits are even made all the way on night one, night two. It's just a 30, 60 second thing that you see in the lobby, you see them in the pew or the chair, wherever they're sitting. Now, if you're in a context where um, you can be bold or it, it works, 
you could perhaps stop by for an unannounced visit. Again, you have to judge whether this works in your context. Don't automatically assume it doesn't. Because I remember being um, the evangelist for the St. Louis metro area for seven and a half years. And working with the churches there, when I first went there, the two things I heard from the beginning is, this place is too hard because it's too Catholic. You know, St. Louis. It's a reason it's named St. Louis. And they told me, oh, you can't visit people in the homes anymore. After seven years, I found out, I found that to be not true whatsoever. You can visit people in their homes in the city, in the inner city, in the country. You just have to build relationships first. So with this, if this would be a first visit, this would be very, very light. I would just take a gift book. You can choose. I just put Steps to Christ up there because that's pretty benign. I don't think I've ever got any, had anybody get upset about me giving them Steps to Christ. But if you can think of another sharing book, it may be as simple as, you know, I stop by their home, you know, knock, knock on the door, and just let them know, hey, I just wanted to thank you for coming to the seminar and the meetings. I remember seeing your face. I just wanted to give you this book as a thank you gift for coming. That's it. Now, it's very possible they might start talking to you, and they might invite you in. Or it might be, that's it, 30 seconds, they're busy, that's okay. You've made a connection. If you think you can't do that on the doorstep where you are just yet, I can do the same thing in the meeting. You know, like I just did with Barry, I, I could have walked around and just say, hey, I wanted to thank you for coming. I remember seeing your face. I could have given him a book here, right in the church in the hall, and just perhaps it would have begun a conversation. It's just making, making connections. You know, it's not even so much important what it is you're giving them, well, I shouldn't say that because it is. You're not going to give them the mark of the beast on you know, the second night. The point is you're giving them something spiritual, but it's the connection you're making. That's actually what's most important is that connection. Um, another option for visitation, and people don't normally think of this as visitation, <clears throat> having refreshments either before or after the nightly meeting. I will tell you it is a lot of work to do that. And usually it falls upon a small group of people. Maybe it doesn't have to be every night, but if you have a church that understands the importance of this, because what happens is you know that when there's food and snacks to eat, it automatically creates an atmosphere where you can make visits and connections so easily. And I, and I get to walk around, and other people in the team, I get to sit down next to people, connect with them, and, you know, it, it may even save me from having to make certain visits in the home sometimes. Not all visits, some have to be in the home, but it's just an automatic connection. You just have to have a church that is trained <laughs> to understand. I had one church, which, which will remain nameless, especially since we're on camera, um, that they started with the refreshments, and then they stopped halfway through. I'm like, why did, why did you all stop? And the pastor told me what happened. They started fighting over what kind of food there should be. You know, so there were people that were, you know, heavily vegan. They felt this is what we need to show the people. This is for this time. I'm like, people, that's not the point. The point is to be able to connect with them. They haven't even heard health principles yet. That wasn't the point. And you, you messed the whole thing up. So you, hopefully, yeah, hopefully you may have to train the church a little bit. I never assume it won't happen. Uh, when you are sitting down and connecting with people, these are questions I always ask people. You can change it around the way you want, but these questions are what enables them to tell you a story. So you can choose the ones that you like. 
You know, eventually, if I had been sitting down longer with Barry, uh, well, I did ask him the first question. I would ask them, so how did you find out about these meetings? What brought you here? That question alone, you're going to get a story. It might be a short story. It might be a long story. You never know what people are going to say. But I'm going to know something about why they're here. Oh, I was, I've been watching 3BN, 3ABN online or the Hope Channel, or I have a friend at work who invited me to come, and then I find out, oh, they're friends with a church member here. Or something's been, you know, going on in their lives. My small group in my Baptist church, we've been studying Revelation, and I've been really interested in this. I'm just going to hear a little snippet of what's brought them here, and that's going to tell me something important. I might ask them, so, uh, so why did you decide to attend? That's just another way of asking the same question. If they're talkative, I may even go so far as once I get to know them, hey, tell me, tell me your story. You know, how did you become a Christian if I know they're a Christian? If I'm not sure that they're a Christian, I could reword it and say, so how did you become interested in spiritual things? How did you become interested in, let's say, prophecy, if this is a prophecy-based seminar? And when I ask those questions, all I next have to do is something that's hard for a lot of us. Shut my mouth and just listen. Listen and let them tell me a little of their story because now I'm going to learn what's God doing in their life? What is it that brought them here? Again, it may be a short story. Some people aren't talkative. And there may be some people who tell you more than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> and you just, you just listen. We've already talked about that. Okay. All right. Also, when I'm visiting with people, people get nervous and they ask, well, what do you talk about? I've already showed you questions. But you can also talk to them about non-spiritual things. And I remember when I first entered ministry, I was introduced to Fort. I thought that everybody in the world had heard of Fort because it was so old until I started doing lay trainings with churches and I would ask this question and then I realized, no, not everybody has heard of Fort. So I'm, I'm going to see if Vancouver is the same way. And this probably won't apply to pastors. How many of you have ever heard of the acronym Fort? Can I see your hands? Okay, your percentage is a tad higher than most. <laughs> Uh, most of the time, I've maybe 20% raised their hands. I thought everybody had heard of Fort. I was taught this, and I never forgot it. This shows me what I can talk about with people just to learn something about them and get a conversation started. All i got to remember is F-O-R-T. F is for family. Most people love to talk about family except maybe someone who's from a dysfunctional family. But other than that, I can ask people, you know, about their spouse, uh, their children, how long have you been married, you know, how many grandchildren do you have, uh, where do they live, if it's a husband and wife. So tell me, how did you two meet? And there's always a story there behind how two people met. So people get them talking about family. I can ask them about occupation, you know, so where, where do you work, Joe or Susan, so what do you do for a living? I listen to them tell a little bit of their story. R is recreation. I can ask them, you know, what do they, what do they like to do for fun? Learn something about their hobbies. Which, by the way, why, why might it be important to know what someone's hobbies are? It may even be something that I enjoy doing, and I can do it with them, perhaps. But even if they pick something I know nothing about, like maybe I'm talking to Barry, and Barry tells me he loves bird watching. I have no idea if you do. I know nothing about bird watching. 
But does that mean that I can't ask him questions? Yeah, how did you get into bird watching? Where, where, do, you, where do you go to do this? What, what's some of the favorite birds you've seen, some of your favorite places? I just ask him, what, what drew you into bird watching? I may not be interested in it, but you know, when you listen to someone, you're making an emotional connection, and that's establishing trust, and that's a big deal when it comes to soul winning. So we've already talked about those questions. I've talked about that. Yeah, someone got fancy and did that for me. All right, let's get past that. Okay, now, now we're at the point in meetings, usually one of the first decisions or decision cards, if you're using decision cards, is when someone hands a card back saying that they are accepting Jesus as their Savior. So whether that's a card or you've done an altar call, whatever it is that you're choosing to do. For me, I like decision cards because they're easy to follow up on and people can still make decisions privately just right there in, in their seat. So the, one of the first ones we do within the first week is the message about salvation. Now you're talking about salvation every night, but there's usually one night where you can go through the steps in detail. On that night is when we do cards. And so when someone returns a card where they're saying they're accepting Jesus as their Savior, this becomes your priority. When I look at the cards later that night and I see uh, who has said I'm accepting Jesus for the first time, guess what? What do you do with that card in the next 24 to 48 hours? Absolutely. That card becomes the most important thing you do. You forget about the finance committee going on at the church in the, in the other church in the district. You forget about the board meeting. You forget about what's going on over there. I know some people would disagree with that. But when I, when I became a minister and I pastored a multi-church district, my understanding was I was taught, when I'm doing meetings with this church, okay, the other churches take care of themselves. Because I'm not going to board meetings, I'm not going to finance committees, I'm not doing in-church things when I've got a meeting going on with people who are open, who are searching for Jesus and searching for truth, and I explain that to the other churches and say, when I do meetings with you, then you'll have all my attention. But those cards become my absolute priority. That person needs to be contacted within 24 hours, no later than 48, but it should be 24 hours. And I want to visit with them. So what's my purpose here? My purpose is I want to encourage them in their decision and just, just have prayer with them. Um, and I want to listen to their story. I want, to, I want to know, well, what made them check that on the card? And it gives me an opportunity to just answer any questions they have and maybe give a little gospel presentation and pray with them to confirm this decision to accept Jesus as their Savior. Does, does that make sense? So let me... So when I visit them on this, I may call them on the phone and, and let's say, uh, let's say John. So John hands a card in. I see it. I call John on the phone. Hi, John. Hey, this is Pastor Dave from the Forecasting Hope Seminar. Hey, how are you this morning? And he'll give his answer. Hey, listen, I was just going through the cards that were handed in the other night and I noticed that you, you marked that you were accepting Jesus as your Savior. Well, John, I just want to call and tell you, I think that that's really awesome. Listen, if you, if you have time, 
Actually, I wouldn't say if you have time. John, would it be possible that we could just get together for a few minutes? I would just love to pray with you about that decision and encourage you and just maybe hear a little bit of your story. Could we do that? And most people are going to say yes because people are not stupid. If they hand in a card that says they're accepting Jesus, I would venture to say 95% of people know that someone's probably going to follow up you know, on that card. And so I call them. We make an appointment. I, I might be able to get into their home is my preference. If not, then I'll invite them to come maybe a half an hour earlier to the meetings. So if it starts at 7, I say, hey, can you come at 6.30? I'd love to, I'd just love to pray with you. And then I'm going to sit down with John and I'm maybe, go, maybe I'll go through F-O-R-T. Uh, maybe I'll kind of ask him these questions we already went over. How did you find out about the meetings? Why did you decide to attend? And then I'll just ask him. Well, John, I was so thrilled when I saw your card. Would you mind sharing? Uh, what caused you to mark that in your card? Why did you decide to accept Jesus into your life? And then I just shut my mouth, and I want to hear his story. And it's going to tell me a lot. After he shares his story, uh, what I may ask him is, I may ask him, well, you know, John, would you, mind if I, would you mind if I went through a little gospel presentation just for three or five minutes, just explain to you what it means to accept Jesus and answer any questions you might have? Would that be okay? And you notice how I'm asking that. Would that be okay? You know, nice, soft, tone voice. And most people are going to say yes. And then I go through, and you can do it whatever way you're comfortable with. These are the four points I, I like to use. There's nothing unique about them. It's just the four simple points of what it means to accept Jesus. I go through that with them and I ask them if they have any questions. And then after I ask them if they have any, after I've gone through this with them, then I, I will ask them, would you like to invite Jesus into your life just now? I know you marked it on the card. Would you like to confirm it and pray with me just right now? And I give them that option. Now, the way I do it, you, you can change this in a way that works for you, I invite them to pray first on their own if they're comfortable. So I might say, say to John, well, John, would you, be, would you be comfortable just praying first? Just doesn't have to be fancy. You know, in, in your own words, just tell God what you've told me about your story and just ask him to come into your life. Is that okay? And if John's comfortable, I'm going to let him go first. Then after he goes, and by the way, I will tell you, listening to somebody pray that prayer for the first time, that is something you will never forget. The moments when you're sitting in someone's, and I get emotional about it, when you sit in someone's home and you're watching them pray this prayer that you know is going to affect eternity, you're realizing that you're doing something in that moment that is worth something. Because I don't feel that way when I do board meetings or finance committees or all this other stuff. But when I'm sitting in somebody's house or the church and I just hear them pray a bumbling, stumbling prayer, but it's the sincerest prayer you ever heard, they want Jesus into your life. Let me tell you, that's what, that's what being a missionary for Jesus is all about. And you remember that for the rest of your life. And then after they pray, I will pray a prayer of confirmation. Um, let me finish quick. Um, when you pray, what should you probably not do? <laughs> now they just prayed, probably a short, bumbling, stumbling prayer, if prayer's new to them. Now you're going to pray, so what kind of a prayer should you pray? Short. Yeah, short and simple. Don't get all fancy and eloquent because what's going to go through their mind? 
I can't pray like that. So just something simple. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you so much for bringing John to these meetings. And Lord, I see how you've worked in his life now. He's invited you in. Would you bless his family and bless his marriage? Draw him close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just something that's blessing him, confirming that decision. And then if I'm not, if that person is not coming to church, or might be a good time to invite them because they've just accepted Jesus. If they're not in a personal Bible study, that would be a great time to invite them. You know, John, you just accepted Jesus as your Savior, and it's like the first step. It's like getting married. Um, you know, if you'd be interested, would you like to get together once a week and just uh, have a weekly Bible study together? That's the time to ask. You know, I could be with me. I could be setting up with someone in the church. could be a small group. But the point is now I'm I need to disciple them. Give that, at least give them the invitation. See, like I said, if, if we had a half day like this is supposed to be, um, I would bring someone up front and we would, I would actually go through the gospel presentation with them. And they invite Jesus into their life, pray that prayer. Because there's no right or wrong way to do it. I, I just like to give people a structure and then let them take that structure and contextualize it for what they're comfortable with. Because I find people prefer that rather than just a blank slate and they don't even know where to begin. So that, that's why I put this in the screen, not because you have to do it exactly like me, but people just prefer a structure and then they, and they change it. So now, oh, one of my favorite quotes, and then we go to the next visit. The one work more precious than any other is the work of what? Soul-saving. The same intensity of desire for the saving of souls that marked the life of the Savior marks the life of his true followers. See, I, I love that quote. Jesus had a passion for people. He's asking us to have that same passion. And, and just like if we were to ask, if I were to ask you, what are the identifying marks of God's true church or God's remnant movement of the last days, we have our traditional answer, which is correct, there's two things we would say. If we said, what's the two identifying marks of God's last day movement, what would we normally say? Commandments of God. We kind of hone in on the Sabbath. And then they what? Revelation 12, 17. Testimony of Jesus. But she seems to add a third one here. She says, the same intensity of desire for the saving of souls that marked the life of the Savior marks the life of his true followers. So that means God's last day movement should be a mission-minded, soul-saving movement. So if I know all about the Sabbath and I can quote everything that Spirit of Prophecy ever said, but I don't give a rip about lost souls, can I really call myself as being part of the remnant? Because the same sa desire for the saving of souls that marked the life of the Savior marks the life of his true followers. All right, next, next visit. Now, I understand what I, what I am presenting here. We can't cover every conceivable visit you might make in a series. This is just covering the main essential ones. I could be talking to someone in the meeting and they bring something up and it might be an opportunity for me to visit them. You know, they, they might have some issue they need to talk or pray about. There, there's a lot of different opportunities. I'm bringing up some of the main essential ones topically that will come up in a series. And obviously the Sabbath uh, is one of them. 
So I'm going to share with you what, what, what we do that I have found that works really, really good uh, so far in many, many different places. When I know I'm going to cover the Sabbath, I cover it in two parts. The first part is where I just talk about the relational aspect of the Sabbath. Because I want people to understand, how does the Sabbath show how God loves me? God wants to spend personal time with me. He's a personal God. He didn't just create me and then go out to the distant recesses of the universe. He wants to know me. And then the second part is then where we talk about, well, how did the Sabbath get changed? Because most people, once they hear about the Sabbath, that's the next question that goes through their mind. So you almost have to cover that. I do it in two parts. And the reason is... <clears throat> When we start on part number two the next night, what we will do is offer a book to the people, but it's, you, don't, you don't give it to them at the meeting, okay? What happens is we, we have an eight and a half by 11 sheet printed out. You see it on the screen. I need to take a better picture of it. But it's a free book offer. So when people come in on the second night we talk about the Sabbath, everybody gets this little flyer. And then up front, before I start the message, we'll say something like this. Well, folks, if you were here last night, you know that we studied one of the most beautiful subjects in the scriptures. And we saw how God loves us, wants to spend time with us, so much so that he has blessed us with this weekly gift called the Seventh-day Sabbath. And I know that for some of you that was new for you, you'd never heard it before, uh, maybe raised some questions in your mind. And so I'd like to offer you a book that's been really helpful and it's been a blessing to me. It's called When God Said Remember. And it pretty much covers everything we talked about last night, as well as talking about how to make that Sabbath a day of joy and delight. If that's something you'd like to have to just go home and kind of study on your own, would you fill out that flyer that was given to you? And you can hand it in at the registration table, and when we see how many people would be interested in this book, we will be sure to get it to you. That's what I say to them. And then I'm telling you, 75% of the guests will hand that flyer in, wanting that book. And your members too, because members can't resist free things. But 75% of the guests hand that in. So when I look to see who's handed that in, you know what I do with those flyers that are asking for when God said remember book? Now you can choose another book if you want. I just like this one because I've read it. It's easy to read. And there's a whole chapter that talks about how to make the Sabbath a day of joy and delight. And I really, really like that. Not just telling people about the Sabbath, but how to actually enjoy it. So what we do, we take that that's what, I, that's what we use to visit people. I do, we deliver the books personally to them. I, I, don't, I don't give it out in the meeting because then I miss the chance for a visit. You say, well, how, how exactly does that work? Well, this is what we do. I see, I see who's handed it in, then I start making my phone calls. So pick up the phone. Mary's requested this book. Hi, Mary. Hey, this is, this is David from the Forecasting Hope Seminar. Oh, that's actually not the one I want. That's an unannounced visit. I usually don't do that part. Here we go. Hi, Mary. This is Pastor Dave from the Forecasting Hope Seminar. Listen, the reason I'm calling is I saw that you requested that free book when God said, remember. Do you remember that? And she gives her answer. Well, listen, I was going to be out. I'm just going to be visiting some people uh, later today and this evening. Would you mind if I stopped by for a minute and dropped that book off to you? Would that be okay? 
You'd be amazed how many people say yes. Because at this point, I don't cover the Sabbath until I'm about halfway through the meetings. So they've already built a relationship with me, with people in the church. So now when I get to this point, see, this is why I establish trust early in the meetings. Because I know at some point, we're going to get to this point where I'm going to be calling them and, and seeking to make a, an appointment with them. And probably 50% of the people will be like, well, what, what time do you think you'll be by? Because again, I've already been talking to them in the meetings, so they're, they're comfortable with me. We make an appointment, and I, I've had days where I've had appointments 2, 3.30, 5, 6, like 4, 4 in a row, just dropping the book off and delivering it to them. But the reason I like appointments is the vast majority of the time when it's an appointment, they actually invite you in. And I, I get to have an awesome conversation. So what happens when you go in? Oh, I wish we could do role plays. Um, I'll go through FORT, like we talked about. I ask them about family, you know, where do they work, if I haven't already done that, you know, at the series. And I just listen to some of their story. But then when it gets to giving them the book, it's, it's as simple as asking, hey, I see that you requested the book on the Sabbath, and that's what I'm dropping off to you. I'm just curious, Joe, was that new to you, or had you heard that before? Now, why do you think that? That's actually a very important question. What does the answer to that question tell you? Was this new to you, or had you heard this before somewhere? What would the answer tell you? If they say, I have not heard this before, then you know this is actually genuinely new to them. If they say, I have heard it before, that means they had previous experience somewhere with something. And so I'm going to ask them, oh, where, where did you hear it? It may be they got a Seventh-day Adventist friend. They've come to a previous seminar, maybe 20 years ago or something. I've, I've had that happen. But somehow they've heard about it, but they haven't followed it. So that tells me something's not making sense to them. There's just not conviction right now because they know about it, but they're not following it. So it, it gives me some important information. Um, if they, I ask them, well, did it make sense to you or do you have any questions? And that's important. Because again, this isn't, this isn't a third degree. You're just inviting them um, to share any questions they have. But you ask the question, is this clear? Does it make sense? Because an important principle of soul winning, people don't make decisions about things they don't understand. Does that make sense? People do not make decisions on things that are not clear to them. It's no different than if you were at the car dealership, you're getting ready to buy a car, you're in the you know, manager's office or whatever, and you're getting ready to sign that sheet for you know, a five-year loan, so much money per month or what have you. If that document is not clear on how much you're paying per month and what your percentage rate is, are you signing that document? No, because you don't make decisions on things you don't understand. It's the same thing with soul winning. If something's not clear to someone, they are not moving forward. So I'm going to at least give them the chance, does that make sense to you or do you have any questions? I then, I then give them the book. I encourage them to read it. Just might say, well, John, here, here's the book you requested. Um, I'm sure you enjoy reading it. As you do, if you have any questions, you feel, you feel free to ask me. I leave them the book, have a word of prayer with them. I'm done with the visit. My visit with them on the Sabbath when I'm giving them the book, my purpose is not to get a commitment about the Sabbath to them. They just heard it. 
I want them to read the book now because the book itself is going to convict them. Because I already know, Sabbath's going to come up again later in the seminar. You can't go through an Adventist Bible study series without the Sabbath coming up, you know, just numerous times because it's connected to prophecy. But what I can do at this point, I'm, I'm not asking them to quit their job, quit going to soccer. They're just learning about the Sabbath. But what I can ask them, if I can see that the visit is positive and they're really interested, I can invite them to church on Sabbath. I can say, well, Joe, um, I'd like to invite you to come. They're going to have a Sabbath service this, this coming Saturday morning that they've asked me to speak. Um, I would like to invite you to come. Just, just come and see. Just see what a, a Sabbath worship is like and give Joe the invitation. Again, I'm not asking him to change anything in his life right now. I'm just asking him, as the Gospels say, to come and see. Come and see and experience. I, I can't control what direction they go. And if that's the direction they go, then I'm going to go with them. I'll do my best to answer their questions um, kindly. But that's also why I refer, take some time to read that book. I think it'll really help address some of the things that you're, that you're concerned about. And then let's, let's get together and talk some more. So I, I want them to read that book. Because if you read that book, you'd understand why I'm saying that. It's just a really, really good book. But I can't always control the directions. So if they've got questions... I can't, I can't flip it off, you know. I've got to be able to listen, address it as best I can. And, I, and sometimes it's come to points, and usually not in this first visit, but it's come to points where I can see they're not going to be convicted right now, and sometimes I just have to leave it with, well, Bob, I, you know, I understand. But you know what? I want to encourage you. You know, God will lead us in this thing. I'm going to keep studying. You keep studying. But I want to encourage you just keep coming to the seminar. And if there's one thing that maybe we're not agreeing on right now, that's okay. We'll let God take care of it. There's so many other things that I know we do agree upon. And I want him to keep coming to the meetings. Because as he keeps coming to the meetings, the Holy Spirit has more chance to work. And then when the Sabbath comes up again, when it comes to Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, and other things, you know, then things are going to start working in the mind. So that's the way I do it. I don't ever want to just stop it because there's a disagreement. I just accept. That's where the person is right now. No reason they can't keep coming. You know, it may not be going the way I want it to go, but just because they're saying no right now doesn't mean they're going to say no later. That's very important. No right now does not mean no forever. See, that's why I wish we could do role plays because then, Crystal, I would do a role play with you and I would let you, I would let you bring up whatever, because you probably have something in your mind right now. I would let you bring it up and we would just go through it in a role play. That's why this is a half day. It's supposed to be a half day seminar. I will say this. This is just one of my pet peeves. When I work with a church, I, I will, I'm very straight with them. After you cover the Sabbath message, that very next Sabbath worship service is important because I will actually create a flyer and I will give it to at the meetings, the rest say you covered the Sabbath on a Tuesday or something, the meetings that week, I'm inviting the people to the Sabbath worship service at the church. I make up a flyer, I tell them what the title is, you know, the name and address of the church, etc., where they can come because now they've heard it, I want them to have a chance to experience it. And I'm telling you, you're not pushing it, it's just option. And I'm telling you, the people, the people who come on Sabbath morning will be your best interests because they have just walked through the doors of a Seventh-day Adventist church on a Saturday morning on a day they probably have not done before, and that tells you how open they are. 
And so then every Sabbath after that, I'm inviting people from the meetings to the Sabbath worship service. But that also means I have to tell the church, listen, whether we like it or not, you got one shot at a first impression. Whether you like it or not, you're competing with these other churches around here. Because sometimes I get the impression that some of our churches have the attitude, we have the truth, this is a beautiful message, so we don't have to take our Sabbath morning worship seriously. And they're not prepared, it's not of quality, people get up who don't know what they're doing, and the worst thing I can't stand is when someone's up, someone's up here, well, what's next in the service? Bob, what's next? Oh, yeah, show, oh, who's doing a children's story? Oh, is Mary here? That, that drives me crazy. Now, I guess if you're a real small five-member church, you can get away with that. But what, what it's communicating is you, you haven't prepared. You know, I'm not saying that we have to be like a thousand-member church, but every church, no matter what their size, should be doing the best that they can. Because I have had people who've been interested in the message, and they came to the church on Sabbath morning, and they came up to me and said, listen, I believe everything you're saying, but there's nothing here for me. There's nothing here for me. And I'm telling you, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> so a church needs to put forth their best on Sabbath. They should be doing that every Sabbath anyway. But recognizing you're going to have people coming through that door for the very first time. And you want them to have a good first impression. Okay. Got two more here. Visiting after presenting baptism. At some point... Well, first of all, I'll show you the card later. We actually do cards every single night. Uh, you say, really? This actually works really well. I got it from Ron Cluzet. We have a generic, just generic card we use every night. I'll show it to you later. We do have special cards for certain topics, like accepting Jesus, the Sabbath, and of course there's one night where it's all about baptism. Now this shouldn't be the only time they hear about baptism. You're inviting them to make that decision all throughout. This is the one night where you're just going into detail about it. And so as a decision card goes with that, you're going to make a strong call for baptism, but then you have to be clear on how you're collecting the cards, and this, this is extremely important. If you want to get decision cards back, you have to be clear what you want the people to do with those cards or you're not going to get them back. Do you want them to hand it in? It's like we usually have blue, nice blue buckets in every row. And from night one, everyone knows when they want to hand something in, you put it in the blue bucket. If you're going to ask them to give it to the usher at the door as they leave who has a nice bucket or whatever, explain that. If you're going to have ushers come down the aisle and you want everybody to pass their cards to the middle, then you have to explain that in detail what you want them to do. And you have to explain to your ushers what you want them to do. Otherwise, you're going to be up here, and this has happened, you're going to be up here trying to figure out what to say, realizing that your ushers don't know what you want them to do, and you're up front trying to get their attention. So actually, I give decision cards out in the very, I don't wait to the end. When people come in each night and they get the materials for the night, they get the decision card. I, I used to be afraid of that, thinking, oh no, they know a decision's coming, they might walk out. I've gotten past that. If they see a decision card's coming and they walk out, they were not going to make a decision anyway. So I give it to them in the beginning. People already have it throughout the message, so when I get to the point where I want to talk about it, they've already got it, and I don't have to wait for ushers to be handing it, handing it out painstakingly. One, two, 
three, you know, and I might be up here for 15 minutes waiting for them to hand it out. So just give it in the beginning. And so when those cards come in, let's get past that. This is, this is what it looks like for us. Um, there's, four, there's four options on there. I know Jesus is my Savior. I desire to follow Him with all my heart. Because decision cards, they're, 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 they're to, if you create your own, there is a psychology to it. The first line is something very generic that anyone should be able to mark. It's not asking for a very big decision. The second one, you are asking like a half step. I want to experience Bible baptism by immersion one day soon. The third one, I, I've strayed from the Lord. I'd like to be rebaptized. The fourth one, I'd like someone to study the Bible with me. So there's something up there that every person can mark, even the person who's been a member for 50 years, ought to be able to say, I know Jesus is my Savior and I desire to follow Him. When I get those cards back and I see who is interested in baptism or, 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 or rebaptism or the Bible study, those become my visits for this week. Next 24 hours, I'm following up on that. But all who indicate baptism should be visited immediately and I seriously mean immediately, and what is my purpose for this visit? My purpose is to acknowledge and affirm and encourage this decision they just made. So I want to set up an appointment to visit with them. Because again, I'm going to call them on the phone. If they handed in a card that says they want to be baptized, do you think they're going to be surprised when someone calls on the phone and wants to follow up with it? No, because at this point in the series, they, they know what the drill is. They know what's going on. So I may call them up, and it could be as simple as, Hi, Mary. Hey, this is David from the Forecasting Hope Seminar. Hey, I was just going through the response cards from the other night, and I noticed that you said you were thinking about baptism. Mary, that, that is wonderful. I would love to talk with you for a few minutes and just, I want to hear your story. Would that be okay? Could we, could we set up a time to sit down together for a few minutes? And Mary is very likely going to say yes, or she never would have handed in the card to begin with. And so I make an appointment. Preferably, I'm going to try for it to be in the home. If I can't get that, then I'll invite her to come to the meeting early, and we'll sit somewhere in the church or the hall. And I, I make appointments that way. At the appointment, I will ask her how she heard about the meetings. If I haven't done that yet, chances are I have. And now all I'm doing with Mary, I, I just want to hear her story. So Mary, share with me. I was so excited when I saw your card because, you know, I know what God's been doing in your life. Tell me, why, why did you decide to mark that in your card last night? You know, I'm smiling and I'm just going to listen to her story now. You know, Mary, what, what was going on in your heart at that time? And she'll tell me what she wants me to know. And then we'll ask, so how soon were you thinking of doing this? And that question, what, what's that question going to tell me when they answer it? Yeah. Are, are, okay, are we talking like the next couple weeks or are you talking like six months down the road? Because some people who mark that are thinking, yeah, I was thinking of doing it within the next year or so. Okay, well, that tells me I wouldn't say they're in A interest right now. I'm glad they're interested. I'm going to follow up. But that tells me they're, they're not convicted to the point where right now. So maybe a little more work has to be done. If they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready now, okay, then what I'm going to do I'm going to make an appointment with that. First, I'm going to affirm their decision in prayer, and God will bless them. I'm so happy for their decision. But if they're wanting to move forward, I'm going to make a second appointment, because I don't do it on this first one. I'm going to let them know, hey, you know, it's so wonderful that you're baptized, you're, you get to become part of a, a church body and a family, 
And I would like us to get together. It'd be good to just go over, you know, some of the baptismal statements together. And trust me, by this point in the series, people kind of have the idea it's connected with a church. And they may have questions about it, and if they do, that's fine. But I'll make an appointment where we'll get together and just share with them, you know, if you're going to be part of a body of believers, it's, it's good to know what they believe. And you already know because you've been coming to the seminar, but I just want to give you a chance to ask any questions that you might have. And most people appreciate that. So I make the appointment, come back, and what I, what I go through with them, I take the baptismal certificate that has the 13 statements. I do not go through 28 beliefs. Because those 13 statements encapsulate those 28, those 28 beliefs. 28 is a little, it's a little much to go through one-on-one. That's all encapsulated in the 13 statements. So we sit down, and all I do is I just take turns with them. I'll say, well, Mary, let's just go through this together, and if there's any questions you have on any of them, you just, you just let me know. So why don't you read the first one? She reads the first one. Any questions on that? No, that makes sense. Okay. I read the next one. That makes sense? Any questions on that? Great. And we just alternate, reading it back and forth. I ask her if she has any questions. If she does, that's when we address it. And if she goes through all 13 and she's ready to, wanting to make that decision to be baptized and I can ascertain this is time, then we go ahead and we, we set a date for baptism. And there, there's actually a reason I go through the 13. There's actually a very specific reason. First of all, I, I, I let the pastor make the decision. I'm not making a decision for a church on baptism. I'm letting the pastor or whoever in that church make that decision. The only way I'll intervene if I think they just, they just have a ridiculous standard that's not biblical, that's that, then I'll intervene. Um, but you know, there's always going to be people on the church board who have their own version of the baptismal statements. Who think this has to be done, can't wear a wedding ring, they got to be vegan, they got to do this, they got to do that. And so when that comes up, and then maybe someone gets upset with me, my answer to them is simple. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist minister. This is a Seventh-day Adventist church. These are the Seventh-day Adventist baptismal vows. I don't add to them. I don't take them away. If you don't like what's on here, you can write to the general conference. I'm not, I'm not going through that. And so that's what saves me. Because nobody can say, oh, he didn't cover it or this or that. These are the Adventist vows. This is an Adventist church. I'm an Adventist minister. Ain't nothing here about not wearing a wedding ring or, a thing, or these things or those things. And it, it just, it's safe, at least for me. Does, does that make sense? I'm not saying you have to do it that way. But if I don't, everybody's going to want to add their different version. Oh, they should have to go through what I went through and whatever whatever they went through 20 years ago or whatever, I, I use the 13 statements. If, they, if they've committed to the 13 statements, I, I, there's no reason I can't. Now, someone's bound to ask me, <laughs> what about smoking or what have you? Okay. I'm just going to tell you what I do. You don't have to agree with it, um, but I've, I've thought through this. When it comes to smoking... A lot of times we'll, people will say, oh, well, you've you got to have quit so, so long before you're baptized. I'm uncomfortable with that because I can't, I can't pick any verse from the Bible or the spirit of prophecy that gives a number. Because if you say, oh, they need to stop before baptism, then the question, okay, well, how long? For two weeks, two months before baptism, what? I have no number that I can give them. So what I, what I do is we, we get together and ask them, you know, 
do you understand about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is this something you want out of your life? And most people would say, no, I, I don't want this in my life. I just, I just haven't been able to stop. So the first question I want to know is, do they understand it's something that God doesn't want, and do they want it out of their life? If they have that desire, I'm good with that. But if they tell me, no, I'm, I can't surrender, there's nothing wrong with it, and they give me a bunch of excuses, that's different. That's a lack of surrender. So what I'll ask them to do is, um, you know, in James 5, it talks about anointing. If someone is sick, let the elders of the church come and pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, an addiction is a sickness. So I'll, I'll invite them and say to Mary, you know, there's something in the Bible called anointing. You know, if you would like, if you want to be anointed, let's say a couple days before, before your baptism, we can come together. James talks about having the elders of the church come and we can anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and you'll pray and we'll pray and we will ask God to heal you of this addiction and take the desire away. And this is what we're asking God to do. All your part is, is the only part you can do is surrender to Jesus. You can't, you can't change, you know, the desire may still come tomorrow. You can't change what's going to happen tomorrow. But today you're saying, I want to give it to him and then just bring whatever cigarettes you have left in the house. You bring it that day we're going to put it before the altar, and that's your step of giving it to the Lord. Then we're going to anoint you, and we're going to trust God to do what He promises to do. And if a person is willing to do that, I'm fine with baptizing them because they're taking the steps that they can take. What if they start smoking after baptism? It, that may happen, but they're in the process that they've surrendered it. And so for me, I'm okay with that. Now, somebody might have a problem, and that's, that's okay. That's just, that's just where I am. Yeah, if they're willing to take the steps they can take and surrender it to Jesus. Because I'm telling you, coming to be anointed, you know, with, you know, you may have two or three elders, that's a big step for someone to take, whether it's at the church or at the home. And you'd be surprised how many people ha have never been anointed for smoking or, or an addiction. And they realize, oh, I can give it to God like this because they've been trying on their own for so long. And that's, that's just how we found that it works really just really well. All right, that's pretty much, we're out of time. Uh, I do want to share one other thing if I can. I wanted to show you our nightly card. Okay, this is the generic card that we use each night. Okay, the teaching tonight was clear. It was a blessing to me. This is my response to tonight's presentation. They can write something. I have questions. They can write it on the back. There's always one, I want to follow Jesus and be baptized, or I'd like to have a visit. They get that card from night one. You'd, you'd be surprised how many people on the first couple days will mark they want to be baptized. Even though they don't know anything yet, they want to be baptized, or they want to visit. It shocks me. Visitation is a lost art in the world. Do you know there are people coming to your meetings who have never been visited in their life, especially, especially by a pastor? It's like a lost art in the world. And so we use that every night, but see, here's the cool thing. Every night we will invite them, if they have any prayer requests, put them on the back of the card. Because we have a prayer team. Every meeting should have a prayer team. That prayer team meets in a special room half hour before the meetings or even during the meetings, and I let the congregations know, whenever you hand in a prayer request for somebody or something going on in your life, it goes to our prayer team, and sometimes we'll bring the team up front during short preliminaries so they can actually see them. And I'm telling you, when you do that, people hand in prayer requests. And see, here's why this is important, because here's where the relational part comes. When people hand in prayer requests from these cards, and they're usually writing their name on it, 
that is a great opportunity where either I can make a phone call to them or I can train my visitation team to do it. Hi, Mary, I'm Joe from the visitation team at the seminar. Hey, I just wanted you to know that we, we got your prayer request and we have been praying for your son Joe over there in Iraq. How is he doing? Man, you're making a connection they will never forget. Well, Mary, we're going to continue to pray for him. Hey, could I have prayer with you over the phone just now? Who's going to say no to that? That's handed in a prayer request. And you're making a connection. I mean, that's gold like a visit. And even you as a speaker, you can do some of them if you like. You know, I'm telling you, you can even train your, your prayer team. If they've registered and you have their address, you can train your prayer team. Buy some nice Christian cards. Write them a card. Dear Mary, we have been praying for your son, Bob. We pray that God will bless him and his family in every way. Your friends, the prayer team at whatever Forecasting Hope seminar, stick it in the mail, give it to them. You think they're going to remember that when they get it in the mail? And they're going to connect it to those meetings and you're making a relational connection with them. And it doesn't cost anything but a stamp to do that or a phone call. So those are some of the things I wanted to share with you. Um, that is pretty much it. Uh, again, this would be a half-day class if we did all the role plays. And as far as the follow-up, um, we didn't really get a chance to talk about that. I I'll just leave it with this. If you're not going to do a follow-up class, then don't do an evangelistic meeting. <laughs> I, I will not do a meeting with a church that doesn't agree to do a follow-up class. Because that follow-up class should start at least two to three days after the main meetings. And if you advertise it well during the last week of your main meetings, 75% of your guests will come to that follow-up class. It'll probably just be once a week instead of four times a week. But they, I'm telling you, they will come if you promote it. And you'll be inviting them to bring family and friends that they wish they would have invited to the main meetings. And what's going to happen is that'll go on for the next two, three, four months. Now you've got more time to build relationships. And you will get baptisms three to four months after the meetings if you do follow-up. Whereas if you don't do a follow-up class, you've got a whole group of people who are interested but not ready to make that full step. And if you just drop everything, you lose them. And you lose the momentum. So if a church tells me they're not doing a follow-up class, then they have to get another speaker. I'm not doing a meeting with them because I'm not going to go through um, having all these interests at the end, knowing that all of a sudden pff, it's, it's kaput. And if they won't do a follow-up, that also tells me they're not serious <laughs> about evangelism. I use Revelation Speaks uh, because it goes through every chapter of Revelation. Now, we don't cover every chapter in the meetings. We just cover the main things of prophecy. And so they're, they're going to both have a review of some things they've already heard, but they're also going to learn some new things that they haven't heard. And it's a different format. It's a workbook. This is classroom style. It's not preaching. And I, I keep it with prophecy because our, our meetings are prophecy-based, Christ-centered prophecy. If that's what brought them, why would I change to a different subject? I had a church who didn't listen to me on this. And so they went and said, we're just going to study the Gospel of John. Well, that's, Gospel of John is wonderful, but that's not why they came. And so they lost, they lost their people. And so it, it needs to be prophecy, because right now that's what they came for. And you can, you can move to other things later. But yes, I do really like that. All right, well, it's way past due, so thank you all for, for coming. Let's have prayer together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, that
your spirit continues to work throughout the communities of this world. That there are people even now who are still, they're searching for something better. Lord, help us to take these principles and learn how to weave that personal relational connection into our reaping series that we can reach the heart and go beyond just what's intellectual and just help them make decisions for Jesus. I pray for each person in here that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit, bless their churches, uh, their leadership, Lord, and give them fruit for the kingdom that they can see even here on this earth as well as in the kingdom of heaven. We ask it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the Propel Conference, we put a lot of emphasis on the practice of reflection. David's presentation was great, but don't just leave it at that. Stop for a moment and think about how this could be applied to your ministry. What was a big idea that jumped out at you? How can you apply what you just heard at your own church? What are you inspired to do? When this episode finishes in another minute or so, I encourage you to pause for five or ten minutes and just let your mind wander. This can be really powerful to spend this reflection time. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love to hear from you with your questions or comments. You can email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Special thanks to Pastor David Kleindienst for speaking at this year's conference. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Mm-hmm.